Good morning, family. Good to be with you guys. I missed you guys so much last week. It's good to be back together again. Um, thank you so much. Um, thank you to everybody who turned around and said hi to me. I saw it. I appreciated it. Um, now we can say it to my face. So that's awesome. So I'm excited to be together with our family. I'm always excited to be with family. I'm also especially excited about our guests because God has a specific purpose in each of our lives. And for all of us, there was a day where we walked into a room full of people we didn't know that well. And it was the first step. It was that first part of God turning something in our lives and, and turning us towards surrender in him and, and doing something really powerful for us. And so um, if you're a guest here, I hope this is a, a first step or a second step or a third step or wherever you are on your journey where we can help you not only be blessed by God, but be a blessing to others. Um, and that's a powerful transformation in our lives and something that's really cool to watch happen. Um, so we've got our men's retreat coming up this weekend. Um, I'm excited about it. We're going to go out in the wilderness. We're going to eat meat. We're going to have a good time. Uh, Crystal's dad bringing mini bikes. It's going to be a great time. I'm so excited for it. It is not too late. You know, almost all the men in the church are going. If you have not signed up yet, it is not too late. Wes, if you'll raise your hand, that's the man. If you want to find to get signed up, that's your guy. Um, it's, a, it's an absolutely transformative time, and I'm so excited for it. Um, we've got one of our really dear friends, Carrie Cox, coming um, to join us for that um, event, not, not to speak, but just to be there. And then he's going to be a guest speaker, hopefully, um, next Sunday. Um, and so we're really excited about that. I can't wait for it. Um, he, is, he is awesome and a powerful warrior for God. Um, you guys have notes in your bulletin. We're starting a new series called Thankful. Um, very original in November, but I think it's a really important thing to hit any time of year. Um, and in Scripture... Thankfulness and gratitude are referenced over 400 times. It's one of the most mentioned topics anywhere in the Bible. God leans way in to thankfulness and gratitude. He talks about it constantly. It's hard to go anywhere in the Bible without him mentioning being thankful, giving thanksgiving, being grateful for um, him and for what he's given us. And it's, it's more than just saying thank you to God and others. It's a way of thinking. It's a, it's a way of thinking that affects your life. An attitude of thankfulness, a, a mindset of thankfulness changes the way that you live. It's, it's, it doesn't start with your circumstances being good. It starts with an awareness that God made all the good things and that he's the one we depend on. And that gives you a thankfulness that goes beyond your circumstance. It's more powerful than what's just happening to you. That can't be shipwrecked just because something got, you know, went a little sideways in your day or in your week. Um, and so it's a more powerful way to live. Uh, I'm going to give you a bonus verse. I didn't get this one in in time for the bulletin. Um, but 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who, to, who belong to Christ Jesus. He doesn't say you have to be thankful for all circumstances. He says you need to be thankful in all circumstances, which is a very different thing. You don't have to be super excited about the terrible things that are going on in your life. But what he does want us to do is to have this attitude of thanksgiving at all times. And if I asked everyone in this audience, you know what, if you had to say in one word, what's God's will for your life? I don't think me or a lot of others before this would have said God's main will for my life is that I would be thankful. But when you look in Scripture over and over again, when you look at God's people, thankfulness is the thing that determines how they're doing more than almost anything else. God's design and his commands always have a purpose. When he tells you something that often, there's a reason for it, and it's because it's critical in our life. And there's three realities about thankfulness or a lack thereof um, that we need to wrap our heads around if we're going to have a thankful attitude and, and have our lives transformed by gratitude. Gratitude is 
It's the glue of any relationship, right? If you are not grateful for the people in your life, you are not going to treat them especially well, right? You're not going to be fun to be around. Your relationship is not going to last very long. It's not fun to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't appreciate you, right? That's one of the worst feelings when you feel like everything you do, they're like, meh, you know, they could care less whether you're there or not. That's, that's not how you build a lasting relationship. And that's what God wants to build is the ultimate lasting relationship. And so there's three different ways we can look at thankfulness and where it comes from or where it doesn't. And the first one is that initial thankfulness is natural as a result of my spiritual birth, right? There is, there is a natural thankfulness. The start of our thankfulness with God is our spiritual birth, where he comes in and changes our lives, where he comes in and says, I am going to make you a new thing. And it is natural in a new relationship to have some excitement that comes with that, right? We call it the honeymoon phase in a marriage, right? And then we, we take that phrase, that phrase is so apt that we use it for all kinds of different things, right? How do you survive a, you know, a little monster coming to your home and robbing all your sleep and taking all your attention, right? It's the honeymoon phase. You're, they're a new baby. You're excited. They're cute. God makes them cute on purpose, right? So, <laughs> so we can live through it. Um, you know, there's, a, there's that initial excitement and you forget all the bad stuff and the hard parts and you focus on the good things, right, with a, a marriage, right, you know, all the, all the things your spouse, your new spouse does, adorable and fun and, you know, a few weeks later, maybe not as much, but during the honeymoon, it's awesome, right, and it's all good. And so there's that initial excitement, that, that outflow of gratitude is, is joy and happiness. When you are grateful for a thing that is new, you are naturally joyful and happy about that. And, and sure enough, when people are baptized and they, they surrender to Christ, there's singing and there's clapping and there's, there's joy and excitement and there's so much possibility. There's so much good that can come of that. And that's rightfully so. So the, the initial thankfulness comes from our being reborn in Christ. In Colossians 2.6, it says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live your lives in him. All right, he's bringing them back to their spiritual birth, to that time when they were, they were so thankful for forgiveness and so thankful for the chance to, to live a new life, right? And, and there's that, all the excitement that comes with that and all the possibility. And then when life settles in and things get hard and you realize you got to go back to work the next day and be a human in a world that's not nice to humans, um, you know, then that initial excitement can wear off. And then God continually calls us back to that and says, remember, remember what what I did with you. And, and in the Old Testament, you would see him whenever Israel would travel and God would rescue them from something really big. He would say, I want you to build an altar so that every time you go by here, you know, they would go by an altar or a well and they would say, that's the altar where God did this. And they would remember back to how God provided for them and they would be thankful all over again. And, and we've got to keep coming back to that because life can choke it out. In Luke 8, 13, Jesus is telling the parable of the sower um, and, and he talks about the seed, and the seed is the, the word of life that just gets scattered around to everyone, and everyone gets a chance at it, and some people grasp it eagerly, and then it gets choked out by life, and that's what he talks about when he says the seed falling on the gravel represents those who initially respond to the word with joy, but soon afterwards, when a season of harassment of the enemy and difficulty come to them, they wither and fall away, for they have no root in the truth, and their faith is temporary." Right, and in any relationship, there's a time when the honeymoon period ends, and what seemed invincibly good gets tested by difficulty. Right, and what you learn is that either the best or the worst is still to come, and your response to how you handle that difficulty is what determines whether the best or the worst is to come after that. You know, your attitude determines that more than your circumstances. It's not that everything's going to go great. The people who have great relationships don't have great relationships because everything's went smoothly for them. 
right? I think if you know people in your life who have great long, long-term relationships, they can point back to a lot of periods in that relationship where it got real hard, right? Where either someone made a terrible decision or a series of terrible decisions or life just got really difficult and the testing came and the difficulty came and you start worrying, you know, did I marry the wrong person, right? Am I in this with the wrong person? What we should be focusing on is am I becoming the right person, right? Is, is my, am I allowing God to craft my heart in such a way so that I can be the person I need to be in this relationship. And when we lose gratitude, when we stop thanking God for, for what he brought to us and, and what he did for us, our hearts get hard, and then we decide to self-destruct. Then we decide to blow the thing up, right? And you see this happen over and over again. You see people who had all this initial excitement, and, and they will say things out loud, like, man, I can't believe the family that God has brought me to, and I can't believe the changes that God's allowed in my life. And then you'll hear them months later go and, and say the opposite of that. And we've just seen it play out over and over and over again. And, and you know, in the past when we've gone through that and, and dealt with it, what, you know, what we've kept coming back to is that sin, sin is so boring. You know, it is. If you have interacted with people a lot, if you've been in the fight, if you tried to raise up disciples, you realize that sin is exhaustingly boring. The people say, the people who fall into the mess, who, who go back to their selfish ways, they always say the same thing. You're like, you can predict, it's like a playbook. You're like, okay, and here's the part where they say this, and here's the part where they do that, and here's the part where they do that. And it's like, it's so sad, you know, that it, you, Satan runs us through this playbook. And and freedom in Christ and relationship with Christ is so creative and exciting, and you never know what's next, right? I was, I was uh, in a study with um, Manny and Nate, and we were just talking about, Nate was sharing, like, if you had given me a list of 10 things that might have happened after I got baptized, none of the things that happened would have made the list, right? Like, I had no idea God would have done any of these things in my life, and no one saw it coming. People discovered things in him that he didn't even, literally didn't know he could do. And, and it was so cool and creative, and God is awesome, and it's exciting to watch when, you are, when your reaction is, when your attitude is right, then the best is to come, and you never know what's around the corner in the best way possible. And when, our, when, we, get, when we lose gratitude, that's where things go off the rails. Um, you know, the Hebrew writer writes to a letter to a group that was really excited and then went through hard times, and the honeymoon phase was fading. And he says, think back to the days after you were first enlightened and understood who Jesus was when you endured all sorts of suffering in the name of the Lord. When people held you up for public scorn and ridicule, or when they abused your partners and companions in the faith, remember how you had compassion for those in prison and how you joyfully accepted the seizure of your possessions. That's a crazy thing to say, right? How you joyfully accepted the seizure of your possessions. People took your stuff and you still rejoiced. And he says, you knew that you had far greater and more enduring possessions, right? And look at what he does. Circle the word in there. That the first couple words are think back. And then circle remember, right? Those are intentional acts. Those aren't things that just happen by chance. Paul is calling on them to choose to remember the sweetness of their early relationship with God, to not lose the excitement, to not lose the thankfulness that they had in the beginning. And remembering that initial joy at being in Christ is absolutely critical for our attitude of thankfulness. That's where it starts. It's that, that initial excitement about God has freed me and there's a world of possibilities and that's still true even when things get hard. The second thing that we need to remember with thankfulness is that continuing thankfulness to God is a good indicator of spiritual maturation. When our, when our thankfulness continues, 
and grows and doesn't decline over time, that's a really good sign that you are becoming mature. In high school relationships, right, they are, they are chaotic at best, right? You are, you are, there are wild swings in how you feel about the other person. You're deeply insecure. They're deeply insecure. Things are just all over the place, and a slight breeze is going to blow that thing up, right? Anything could happen. I had a, a girlfriend, and she had a dream that I had cheated on her. It didn't happen, but she had a dream. It almost ended the relationship. She's like, I don't, it felt real. I don't know what to tell you. I know it wasn't, but it felt real, right? They are, they are desperate for, um, for anything stable. In a mature relationship, you can survive a bad dream. You can survive someone making a mistake. A sign of maturity is that you continue to be grateful even when things aren't going great. If I want to gauge the development of, of whether I'm growing or not, I don't look at my birth. I look at what I'm doing now. I don't gauge how I'm doing in my marriage by looking back at the honeymoon, right? I look at how I'm doing now. I want to see what am I doing now? How does that look? In Colossians 2, 6, it says, you must continue to follow. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. And then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. You know, the, the gratitude we had in the beginning is the same that we should always have. It's we are as saved today as we were at the beginning, right? We are as full of possibility as we were at the beginning. And we cannot let difficulty and hardship choke that out. There is nothing sadder than in you have, when you have a church where the new believers are all the excited ones and the old believers are the ones who sit back and say, well, they'll get over it eventually. That's, that's just, I've been in those churches. It is super depressing. And I think if it's visible when you see people that have put down roots and are overflowing with thankfulness and, and it, it pours out around, the idea of overflowing is a beautiful concept in scripture. We did, I'll never forget, we did a, a, a work, um, there's a word for it. We did a thing at a retreat that we went to, and Carol wanted to show us what, what overflowing was like. And so she brings somebody up, and he, he sticks his hand out, and he, she's got this bottle of lotion, and she puts just an absurd amount of lotion in his hand. And she's like, all right, now, now rub it in. you know. And he's like, there's so much. I mean, it's just a horrible amount of lotion. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? She didn't give any guidance. She's like, we'll figure it out. And so we had to go around to the room and like share it with everyone. And like everyone was super hydrated at that point. And it was great. We had silky smooth hands. And we learned that when, when God gives you so much that you can't handle it, the natural reaction is to share it with everyone else and make their life silky smooth and awesome as well, right? So... Um, you know, that's, it's this overflow that God gives me so, God does not play games. And when God blesses you, gives you, if he gives you family, he gives you too much family, right? I literally don't have room in my calendar for the number of, number of people I want to spend time with, right? I've got to share them. I've got to be like, I can't get to you in like two months. Go and spend time with this family member. They're amazing, right? Like, it's awesome. And it, he, he's ridiculous with how much he gives. He says, test me in this. And see if I don't bust open the floodgates when I pour out my blessings on you. It will be too much for you to handle. And that is awesome. And when you are full of thanks and when you are accepting that and, and thankfulness allows him, that's what it looks like. When God says, test me in this, thankfulness is what enables that test, is what enables him to unleash that. And I think if you will look around at the people in this church who have walked with God the longest, they are often the ones who are here first and here the longest and, and the first ones leading the charge, the first ones out in the front of the car wash, the first ones out, you know, to, to support somebody and be there for something, they're the most excited about this. And it's because we've, we've stayed thankful and we've stayed aware that we did not build this thing. 
that this thing only exists, this family only exists because we have an incredible God who can build a lot better than we can. And I want to keep that good. And the only way I can keep that good is to continue to rely on him and praise him and run out and be excited to meet him. In a healthy, godly relationship, your gratitude grows over time, right? You put down roots and you get more and more thankful as you get to know people, people better. You know, I, I, I appreciate people in this room so much more than I did when I first moved here. And I was super thankful when I first moved here. You know, our first experience with this church was pulling up in a, a broken moving truck, you know, and having 15 people waiting in the driveway to, to help us unload. And that's like, you would think peak thankfulness, but it's not. You know, there's, there's so much more because I didn't know the people that well that were helping me unload. And as I discovered their personalities and where they came from and where their background was, I appreciated them so much more. You know, as I go through years of relationship and, and marriage with Crystal, I discovered new things all the time about her that are really cool that I didn't know that weren't true of her when we got married. You know, when, uh, thank God we are still not the 21-year-olds that got married, right? Like, I'm so, she's so thankful she's not married to 21-year-old me. <laughs> Sorry. I got a better end of the deal, but still, she's grown and, and become way cooler since that time. So uh, it's, it's just awesome what you learn and what you, what, you, what you get as you deepen that relationship. And that continued thankfulness is a sign of a mature relationship because you've taken the time to stick it out through the hard stuff, and that's when you learn the really cool things about somebody. Right? You can, you can never appreciate someone as much as you can appreciate them after they've taken care of you when you were just gross, right? Like when you were gross sick, you know, and, and anyone else would look at you and be like, you got to go away. And that person sticks it out with you like, I love you in a different way than I did before I went through that. So continuing thankfulness is a good indicator of spiritual maturation. And then finally, declining thankfulness to God is a danger sign of my spiritual degradation. When I decline in my thankfulness, that is the number one red flag that my spiritual life is degrading, that my relationship with God is, is going down. Thank you so much. I'm thankful for Ashley in a different way than I was before that. That's awesome. When I stop being thankful, that is a sign, not that things have to fall apart, but that they could. You know, it is one of the most important warning signs. In Colossians 2.8 it says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. I'm going to go into that a lot more in a minute, but, but these philosophies, these worldly mindsets, they tempt me to diminish who Christ is and what he has done for me. That's, that's what these, these worldly mindsets do. They, they minimize Christ. They turn God from big G to little G. He's just a dude who did some cool stuff, who taught some good things, and, and that's all he is, and he doesn't have any sway in my life. They want to diminish who God is. Look at what Satan did when, when he wanted to attack God's people. He saw them in paradise. How do you attack a people that have been given everything? How do you attack two people living in absolute paradise where they don't have to work for anything, their food is readily available, they get to walk with God every day. How in the world do you corrupt that? Well, you come in and you point to the one thing God said they couldn't have, right? You walk into a paradise where they have everything they could ever need, including the presence of the Lord Almighty, and you say, but he didn't let you have that. Has he changed his game plan at all? Right? Isn't that still what he's doing? Like, no matter how good things are, he will come in. The demonic attack, the satanic attack always is, yeah, but you don't have that. You don't get to do that. 
They won't let you do that. They complained about that, right? It's the one thing. They, someone could spend a week serving you, and they do one thing you don't like, and Satan's like, ah, oh, there it is. There's the problem, right? Everything is wrong because that just happened. And that's what he does, and he points to the one thing they can't have, and he's doing the same thing now. I can have a great weekend, and one thing can go wrong on a Monday, and it is my life is awful, right? It's just down the toilet. I have forgotten every good thing that happened to me in the last 48 hours, and now this is the problem in my life. And he hasn't changed. Ingratitude is his number one in for getting to us. In Romans 1, 21 through 22, it's talking about Israel in the Old Testament. And this is a people that were chosen by God to show the world how good it is to live with God. Right? They, what a privilege. I am going to walk with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to shield you. You will win battles over nations that make no sense. Right? I will be with you every step of the way as the creator of the universe. And this is what it says about him in Romans 1.21. It says, although they knew God, they didn't honor God or, or as God or thank him. Instead, their reasoning became pointless and their foolish hearts were darkened. While they were claiming to be wise, they made fools of themselves, right? They, and when God handpicked them, not because they were his favorite, but because he, had, he wanted to pick someone to show the world that you could pick someone small and lift them up into something special when you follow my ways. And they spent the whole time complaining. I mean, almost the whole Old Testament is them complaining about God. It's, it's a lot of it. It's, it's hard. It's hard to watch because it's, it's a little too familiar, right? It, it hits a little too close home, to home for me. And it's amazing how they take this privilege and they turn it into complaints. In 2 Timothy 3, 2, it says, But you must realize that in the last days, the times will be full of danger. Men will become utterly self-centered, greedy, full of big words. They will be proud and contemptuous without any regard for what their parents taught them. They will be utterly lacking in gratitude. You know, when you watch like movies about the end of the world, you know, there's like meteors and earthquakes and, you know, and if it's biblically minded, then there's this crazy stuff they pull out of Revelations with, you know, there's this guy and he's putting computer chips in everybody. He's got 666 tattooed on his forehead. And you know what the number one enemy in the last days is? People not being grateful. That's what freaks Jesus out. That's what scares him. If Jesus makes a horror movie, it's a bunch of people ungrateful for the things God has done for them. He is terrified, right? Like that's, that's bad news for him. And we are still in these last days. When the Bible says the last days, it means the days between Jesus coming down to this earth and Jesus coming back in glory. We are in those same last days and, and it's still a threat. It's still the threat. You can see the philosophies that he's talking about. When he says these mindless philosophies, these worldly philosophies, they're the, the self-centeredness, the contempt for what's come before you, right? The pride in sounding smart, even if it's not based in reality, right? These, are, these were true in, in Paul's day, and they're just as true now. These are the worldly concepts that will, that will kill your thankfulness. A lack of thankfulness is the natural outpouring of those mindsets. When you are self-centered, you are naturally not thankful because why would you be, right? You have, you have provided what you have gotten and no one else and, and anyone else is a problem and an obstacle. And so, of course, you're going to be lack, you're going to lack thankfulness. Of course, you're going to lack gratitude and it is absolutely toxic for your relationships. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, don't worry over anything, whatever. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer and the peace of God, which transcends human understanding will keep constant guard over your hearts and your minds. Our gratitude is, is so indicative of where we're at. In fact, 
if the easiest way to figure out to assess the spiritual direction of my life may be to assess the level of spiritual appreciation in my life. If I want to know where I'm going with God, what my direction is with God, then the easiest way to assess that is to assess the, the level of thankfulness in my life, the appreciation in my life. If I am appreciative, I am probably doing well. If I am not appreciative, I am probably not doing well. And if you really want to know how you're doing, it's not to list what's going on around you. It's to list your attitude when the things are going on around you. Right? It's not how many things have gone well for me. That's the trap the Jews fell into a lot. In Jesus' time, they would say, look, that tower fell on that dude. What did he do wrong? And Jesus like, the tower fell down because nobody built it right. They, they didn't do anything wrong. If you want to know whether you're doing something right, are you surrendered to God? That's how you want to know. That's how you find out. Have you repented? Have you followed God with all your heart? That's how you know if you're doing right, not by how things go around you. If you lose your job, it doesn't mean that God hates you. If you lose your job and you curse him for it, it means that you're going to end up hating God, right? If, if things don't go the way you want, you don't get the relationship you were hoping for, it doesn't mean you're cursed. If you don't get the relationship you want and then you curse God, you're going to end up hating him, right? You're going to end up upset with him. It's going to be about you and it's going to go off the rails. We've got to stay thankful. And we know that that's the top priority for Jesus because the one thing the early church did that, they, that we know that they did, and we know how they did it, is they, they took communion. That was the one thing. Every Sunday, that was the thing they did. It wasn't a, it, the main focus wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the singing. It was, it was they took communion. And all the other stuff is important, but what was most important was Jesus saying, you need to remember what I did. You need to come back to the love that I showed you. And so he passed around bread, and he passed around a cup, and he said, this is my body being broken for you, and this is my blood being poured out for you. I loved you that much. I love you that much. And he wanted them to remember that so they would be grateful always. Let's take that now, and then we'll come back together and wrap up. Let's pray. Father God, as we go back and, and break bread and, and drink of the cup together, I pray that we would not take that lightly, Lord, that we would recognize what you told us to remember in that, and that is the incredible, unbelievable love that you showed us. Lord, may we always be thankful that while we were still sinners, while we were at our least attractive, Jesus died for us. Lord, before I was even born and had a chance to apologize for the things I would do, he died for me. And Lord, I pray that we would take that with full hearts and, and be super thankful for what you've done, the sacrifice that you made, the sacrifice that Jesus made, and the endless amazing possibilities that that opens up. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, so these philosophies of ingratitude, these worldly mindsets that we can slip into, the self-centeredness, the, the, the about-me-ness is so easy to fall into. How do I know if I have fallen into ingratitude? If it's, if it's such a danger to my relationships, how do I make sure that I don't slip into that? And there's a couple warning signs that we can look for to make sure. There's a couple tests we can do to look at and, say, and see pretty clearly, am I falling into ingratitude? And the first one, the first question we have to ask is, does my life show that Jesus controls my life, that he is Lord. If you looked at my life, could you tell who was in control, right? We talked about overflowing. It is, is it obvious from your life that you are seeking what Jesus wants instead of what you want? You know, the, the end result of all worldly philosophies is self-rule, right? It is, it is when the control that God is exerting over you 
that, that freed you from so many mindsets and so many habits, that thing, that's what we're rejoicing in. When we're baptized, we're rejoicing and giving up that control. And we're saying, God, how awesome is it that there's all these possibilities. When I was in control, my possibilities were so limited. It was so restricted because I could only get what I could get. And what I can get is not enough. It's not good. But what God can get is endless. It's endless. It's limitless. And so the possibilities are, are endless when God's in control. And we rejoice over that. But when we fall into self-rule, that, that influence, that control that God was exerting that, that freed us from so much that used to enslave us now starts to feel burdensome. It now starts to feel wearisome. It, it feels like a chore. It feels like a restriction where before it was possibility. And you start turning to worldly advice that tells you to do you, right? To, to take control, to do what you feel like doing. If you don't feel like it's, it's what you should be doing, just do what you feel like doing. And that's what got us in trouble in the first place. But there's so much available to turn to that will tell you that, that it's easy to slip into. In Colossians 2, 8 through 10, it says, Be careful not to let anyone rob you of this faith through a shallow and misleading philosophy. Such a person follows human traditions and the world's way of doing things rather than following Christ. All of God lives in Christ's body, and God has made you complete in Christ. Christ is in charge of every ruler and authority, right? The, the essence of self-centeredness is telling Jesus, whether with your words or more often with your actions, that you want him to be your savior, but not your Lord, right? I want salvation, but I want it on my terms. I'll tell you how this goes. We're going to do the steps I want to do, right? And I don't want you telling me not to do this. You're going to, you're going to be in charge of my salvation, and that's it, and I'll take care of the rest. And we forget that the, what saved us in the first place was surrender and submission to God. You can't take the one without the other. You cannot be Savior without being Lord, because you can't be the Savior. You need someone else in charge. And we've got to be careful not to try to pigeonhole him just in the Savior role and not as Lord. In Titus 1.16, it says, they say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words, right? And when it says no, it doesn't mean an intellectual knowledge. It means relational knowledge. They say they know God, but their actions sure don't look like they know God because the God I know is the creator of the universe. And if you really understand who the creator of the universe is, you don't tell them, no, I got it figured out right? You don't know God. If that's, you know, it's, there's times like when, when my, my smaller kids were younger and they would say something just off, offhand, like just really messed up. And Kayla would look at them and be like, do you know who you're talking to? Right? Like, this is not good. You, I don't think you know who you're talking to, right? This does not end well for us when we do this. And there's, we've got to recognize, I may have all the right words, I may be able to speak church and sound right and answer the right things in Bible class, but if my life is, is my life overflowing with thankfulness onto those around me, or is it focused on what I want but don't have, right? What do I look like? What does my time look like? What does my attitude look like? Do I look like someone who is super thankful for the things God is doing in my life and the other people around me are thankful for the things God's doing in their life because it's overflowing on them? Or am I negative and complaining and avoiding the things that God is calling me to, right? That's, that's how you measure your gratitude. Who's in control? Who's steering your life? And the second question we have to ask is, does my attitude show that Jesus has saved my life? Does my attitude show that Jesus saved my life? Do I obey him eagerly knowing that he has my best interest at heart? Or do I follow grudgingly and complaining? 
right? How, how excited am I? Do I, am I? Can you not hold me back? When I was going into ministry, when I was thinking about going into ministry, Lynn pulled me aside and he said, if you can do anything else, do that. He said, don't go into ministry unless it is the only thing, unless no one can stop you from doing it. It's the only thing that, that you can do because it is, that's the heart that God is looking for from all of us, that, that you can't stop us from doing this. And that's how we feel about people we love. All of this is based on love, right? The Bible says, Christ's love compels me, right? That's what pushes me forward. That's what wakes me up in the morning. It's what changes the things that I do. And if I really love the people around me, and I am absolutely convinced that their greatest chance of joy and happiness and salvation is a relationship with Christ, then you cannot stop me from talking to them about it, right? I don't have to be asked. I don't have to be pushed. I don't have to be prodded. You cannot stop me because I love them and I want what's best for them, right? Nobody's got to poke me and remind me to hug my kids, Right? Nobody's got to poke me and remind me to come here every Sunday morning and spend time with you guys. You can't hold me back. The only reason I won't is if it would spread the plague to you. Right? That's the only thing that's going to stop me. Right? You cannot stop me from being here. In Colossians 2, 11 through 14, it says, and it draws this line between circumcision, which is a, a physical act that set the Jews apart, and with baptism, which is a spiritual act. And it's really interesting how he draws this. In Colossians 2, it says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it all away, nailing it to the cross. Now, here's what's interesting about that. We focus so much on the physical, just in general. We focus so much on the, phys on the physical. We think, man, of course they could follow like that. They had Jesus right next to them, right? I'd follow like that too if I had Jesus next to me. But guess what? Way more people who had, physically, had physical Jesus with them did not follow than followed right? The physical is not the most important thing. Over and over again in scripture, the physical is for God is just symbolism. It's just foreshadowing. It's just the thing that gets us to the really important thing, which is the spiritual stuff he wants to do in your heart, right? And so he has them build the temple and the temple is this grand thing and it's got all the silver and gold and it's, it's magnificent to look at. And God says, fine, but it's not about the temple. That's just a hint at what heaven's like. It's a pale shadow of what heaven will be like. It's a, a small reminder of what's waiting for you on the other side, right? And, and when he talks about circumcision, and it's this, it's this thing that definitely gets the attention of the men in the room, and it's, it's a really important thing that, that sets them apart, but what, what's really important that God wants to cut off is the sin in your life at baptism. That's what he was aiming for. That's what he was sharing is that this is going to cost and it's going to be a sacrifice. And when I do, it's going to set you apart. And that was a really small thing and a thing that people, you know, overlooked all the time. But when it's, when it's at baptism, when it's your heart, it's going to be a really big thing. You know, when Jesus does his physical miracles and you think, man, I would do anything to see him calm a storm or, or heal a leper or do something really wild. And Jesus says, this is just a hint at the way that I, my power is really going to work, which is through hearts with the church, that their hearts are going to be transformed, and you're going to do things that are way better than calming a storm. And I would argue that the people that we've seen come in and come out of brokenness and a lack of hope and anxiety and everything else, and they've come in and built powerful relationships and, and done things they never thought they could do is way cooler than calming down a storm.
right? You calm down a storm, another one will spring up tomorrow. You change someone's eternity, that's forever, amen? That's a way bigger deal. We've got to get off this physical fixation, and we've got to recognize that the really cool stuff that God is doing, he's doing right now. The stuff that he's doing right now, the angels envy what we get to do, right? The, the heroes of scripture would have killed to be in the shoes that we're in, right? That's a reason to be grateful. Don't settle on shallow and foolish philosophies of the world. Which one sounds right in your experience? Follow your heart, or the heart is deceitful above all things? Right? When you've just done what you felt like doing, which one of those rang true? Right? When you just do what you feel like doing, does that always, do the, does that always end up in the best place? Right? No, that's a horrible philosophy, and yet it's the theme of every Disney movie ever made. Right? <laughs> Walt Disney is not Jesus. He, cannot, he does not have it figured out. Right? He's gone. He can't help anybody. Right? There's the worldly philosophies that are out there. When they say, you do you, when they say, all the, all the worldly mindsets that have gone through that are present now and will always be present are shallow and they're useless. What, what matters is the everlasting love of God who made us and knows exactly how we tick. And that's what I am thankful for. And that's what I will lean on. And that's what we as a church will lean on every day of the week. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. And this is critical. This is complaining is the kryptonite to thankfulness. Right, It is. It is the number one killer of thankfulness. In Philippians 2, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Robert Cox has a, a cheesy saying. Um, he says, it's hard to whine and shine at the same time. And it is so true. It's like, man, that's the kind of thing you'd say to a kid, but it's like, okay, me too. Like, I need that all the time. Right, it is God's purpose for you is to have a thankfulness that overflows onto others. We are meant to live such a life that when people see you, they say, I need some of that. Right, whatever they got going on, I need some of that in my life. And when I am grumbling and complaining, nobody looks at that and is like, Man, I wish I had their life. Right, like when you're miserable, it just doesn't look appealing. But when we are thankful, and it's not a fake, a fake thing, there's a we're not trying to, we talked in Bible class this morning about putting on your, your happy church mask, right? And, and that mindset of like having a terrible day and you come in and you pretend like everything's great. That's not what I'm talking about. All you have to do in order to be overflowing with thankfulness is just acknowledge the reality of the situation, that the creator of the universe loves you personally enough to heavily invest in your life and transform it for eternity. Is that enough to be thankful for? That's a big deal. That's enough for me, right? That's all. It's not fake. It's just the recognize the reality of the situation. The mess around you, that's the temporary stuff. That's the fake stuff, right? The stuff that lasts, the really, the really powerful stuff is the good stuff that God brings into our life. So I don't know what thankfulness looks like for you, um, but I would love to see it in action. And so for us, for our members, um, we get a chance to flow, overflow with some of our thankfulness. We're going to collect an offering where we can show our thankfulness to God and, and give toward the work of the church and all the cool things that we're doing. For our guests, what we would really love when we pass those offering buckets around, if you would just share with us you know, what do you want to be more thankful for? What, what's robbing the thankfulness in your life? And if there's anything in your life that's holding you back from that, that's, that's restricting you from having this incredible life that God is, is sharing with you, then we want to be a part of that. And if that means studying the Bible with you, if that means going out to dinner and spending time, whatever that is, we want to be there for you, even if it's just prayer. You know, we say things like, it's just prayer. Again, we focus so much on the physical thing right? You could buy someone a car and it'll break down in a few years. When you pray, 
That's the good stuff, right? That's the spiritual stuff that God is really excited about. That's the power that comes flowing out and invests the power of heaven in the life of someone else. So if we can just pray for you, we would love to do that because it's life-changing. Share that with us if you would. Uh, make that sacrifice. We'd love to walk alongside you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the incredible ways that you love us. Father, the way that you taught us what love looked like, the way that you crafted us into a family um, that loves different than the way our family loved us a lot of times, that loves different than, um, than we, were, we were given the example of. Lord, I've had a lot of relationships in my life that, um, that weren't great, um, that were self-centered from my end or from the other or both. And Lord, you've taught us a different way, and we will never forget it. Um, Lord, may we open ourselves up through thankfulness to your blessings. May it flow into us to the extent that we can't help but overflow on the people around us and give them something good. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.